You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem Podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Streamer, as you heard in our great opening. And we're coming at you here in this Monday, November the 21st of 2022, Thanksgiving week. Uh, we don't usually do Monday episodes, but with the holiday coming up, thought it'd be good to going out to you early this week. And you can hear my incredibly insightful analysis as you travel to uh, your, Thanksgiving des- your Thanksgiving destination. So there you go. I do what I can. And it's also good timing that we're coming at you on a Monday this week because I have two big stories that I want to go through here, uh, both of which are very interesting to me. The first one is a media war. Oh, yes. I love a good media war. We certainly have one here. Dave Portnoy. (laughs) Shocking. He's involved in one of these, right? Uh, The New York Times came out with a huge piece on Dave Portnoy published Sunday titled Desperate for Growth, Aging Casino Company Embraced Degenerate Gambler. A degenerate gambler is in quotations. That's referring to a quote from Portnoy's dad uh, that he said several years back about his son's gambling problem. Um, So the New York Times ran this piece on Dave Portnoy, largely in the context of Penn National's partnership with Barstool Sports, which was finalized in 2020 to the tune of 15 some odd million dollars. And Barstool's value has skyrocketed since then. Penn National's value has skyrocketed since then. Business-wise, it's been a huge win for both sides. And the article was told in that context and also was part of the New York Times' larger investigation into the sports betting industry in general and really the proliferation of the sports betting industry and all the legalization we're seeing across the country. Now, a few things about the story. Well, first of all, so the story comes out and then Portnoy tweets out a video that's more than three minutes long of his months-long correspondence with the New York Times reporter, Emily Steele, who worked on this story, basically, Portnoy was responding to this one line. The Times provided Penn, Barstool, and Mr. Portnoy with detailed questions about this article. Penn and Barstool executives did not respond to repeated messages. Mr. Portnoy did not provide answers. So Dave uh, screenshotted that line and then tweeted out, as I said, a three-minute-long video showing his entire correspondence with the New York Times business reporter, who wrote this piece. And the point Portnoy was trying to make, and if you read the correspondence with the New York Times reporter, this is how he's framing the discussion, is on May 10th, Emily Steele responded to Portnoy, who called and said they would be happy and they're eager to sit down with him to talk about the story. And Portnoy said, great, he's down for on-the-record answers and answer any questions she may have. Although to clarify, he said he gets to record the interview and use the footage as well. You go to May 23rd, that's your next correspondence. Portnoy again calls the New York Times. Emily said again, they're eager to get in touch, but not at that stage in their reporting. Then Portnoy lashes out, becomes more combative. So 39 women have reached out to him about Emily, the reporter, trying to catch them off guard 
asking, quote, shady and dishonest questions. And that, of course, in reference to the insider story that came out last November, actually, in which multiple young women uh, accused Portnoy of improper sexual misconduct, saying that their encounters with him turned violent at some points. And again, when Portnoy says 39 women, it's apparent that's what he's referring to. But interestingly enough, in the article, the Insider article is only mentioned, in the New York Times piece, the Insider article is only mentioned in passing. It's mentioned in a section titled, I have it right here, Circling the Wagons. And basically, in that section, New York Times, as I said, mentions Insider's article dealing uh, detailing the allegations from young women who had, quote, sexual encounters with Portnoy that turned violent. But the article really focuses on how Penn defended Portnoy and regulators didn't look into him. And that's right. The whole story is told in the context, and this is just one piece of it, in that historically, up until the Supreme Court gave the green light for gambling to be legalized in all 50 states, previously, gambling regulators in Nevada and New Jersey were very stringent and very meticulous about their reviewing processes, who they allowed to be involved with casinos, who they allowed to be involved in even high-profile promotional roles with casinos. They mentioned uh, that, I think it was Sands Resorts, cut their partnership with Mario Patali in 2018. He had restaurants in the casinos, but they cut their partnership with him after there were uh, after he was accused of improper sexual misconduct. Um, you know, there are many examples throughout history of casino companies, you know, Steve Wynn had to sever ties with this whole brand uh, of casino companies cutting bait with questionable figures. And whether or not you love Barstool, hate Barstool, are ambivalent about Barstool, you do have to admit that Dave Portnoy has quite a past that if state regulators were stringently reviewing his partnership with Penn, Barstool's partnership with Penn, uh, this stuff wouldn't so easily fly through. Uh, the article mentions that Portnoy owes uh, owed at one point fifty nine thousand dollars to credit card company. He lost thirty thousand dollars gambling one year. Court documents show in two thousand four he filed for bankruptcy protection and a lot of this stuff again gambling addiction filing for bankruptcy. The New York Times says and they quote many experts in the field to say as well it wouldn't pass muster with tough regulation. But in the proliferation of sports betting, we're not seeing as many states do that the article says. So that's the whole point of the article. And again, the insider piece about the allegations from women about Portnoy, that is just one chapter into what the New York Times says is a longstanding trend now of state regulators, gambling commissions, not looking as deeply into Dave Portnoy as they should. Okay. Now to go back to Portnoy's exchange with Emily Steele, the reporter who wrote this article, again, He says 39 women. But if you read the piece, as I mentioned, the insider article is only mentioned in passing. None of these women are quoted directly. Again, the piece is really about Portnoy, his history of, yes, lewd comments on Barstool and they play all the hits, you know, jokes about misogynistic jokes, racist humor, offensive content, you know, all of that stuff. If you read a million pieces on Barstool, you're probably pretty familiar with the New York Times listed off. But The biggest portion of the piece is about his financial background, some of his questionable uh, financial past, and his 
uh, again, uh, promotion of irresponsible gambling, saying, you know, you got to promote a, you know, encouraging his followers to bet, you know, place a hundred thousand dollar bets and, you know, playing gambling addiction and all the stuff that are doing it on college campuses, do it stuff that regulators, New York Times says would have previously caught an expert in the industry say that as well. And you, know, this story, the Times says, was based on thousands of pages of court filings, financial documents, and communications obtained through open records requests, along with interviews with dozens of current and former Barstow and Penn employees and state regulators. So I'm sorry, when you report a story over at least six months, thousands of court filings, dozens of interviews, documents, open records requests, that's not a hit job. It's not. Now, Portnoy, again, is trying to frame it as a hit job. And this week, and you can see this by their Twitter DM correspondence that Portnoy tweeted out, Emily finally emailed him a detailed list of questions and gave him 72 hours to answer. Portnoy, as he had throughout this process, insisted on recording their conversation, taping, and audio recording. And Emily said the New York Times didn't accept the terms, and that was basically that. Portnoy did respond with one comment that they published in the piece, quote, you have so many factual inaccuracies, it's actually laughable. It's blown me to dignify this hatchet job with a response. So they did include a response from Portnoy, but the New York Times said he didn't provide answers, and he didn't. Now, here's my take on this, and thanks for bearing with me there. Sorry if it took a little long to land the plane, but I wanted to give a bit of a detailed roundup. Um... I think the New York Times did not do the best job trying to get illicit comment from Portnoy. Back in May, when they first corresponded with each other, Emily and Portnoy, Emily Steele, the reporter, and Dave Portnoy, um, Emily said they were eager to speak with Dave and get Barstool's side of things, and then took six months to circle back. Now, it's very common in common practice, frankly, to not go back to the subject until the reporting is done. You don't want to keep going back, keep going back. You want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row, you know, T's crossed, I's dotted. You have everything fully fleshed out. And then you get in touch with your subject and send them a detailed list of questions, which the New York Times did. However, Portnoy says he only gave him 72 hours to answer, which again, is commonplace. You don't want these questions lingering out there for days upon days. That gives the other, you now the subject or the company, a lot of time to uh, slander the upcoming story, uh, concoct possible legal defenses in a case like this. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. You don't want this stuff just lingering out there. But again, I go back to that mistake. You got in touch six months ago if you're the New York Times. And then you don't circle back for months. You know, I think that they could have probably, the reporter could have played this better. And if she was genuinely interested in hearing Dave Portnoy's side of things and Barstool's side of things, I think she would have handled the correspondence with him differently. Absolutely. And it's totally fair to say the New York Times had a motive here. Their motive is they wanted to scrutinize the partnership between Dave Portnoy, Barstool Sports, in Penn National, and their premise was that Dave Portnoy has skirted past industry regulators in a way that he wouldn't have previously. And they backed up their premise with interviews with experts, thousands of pages of court filings, 
Open records requests, financial documents, dozens of interviews with Barstool Penn employees, state regulators, as I mentioned. So, yes, the New York Times did have an angle that they wanted to pursue, and they pursued it successfully. So, yeah, story did have an angle. The story did have a bias, but this stuff wasn't just pulled out of thin air. It was backed up with concrete facts. And that's my take on that. I think that there's a lot of performance art here, but in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of the reporting and the actual story, it's just a lot of noise. I also want to talk about the World Cup here. Yes, the World Cup started on Sunday in Qatar, glorious country, where they banned beer sales at the stadium. We know about their human rights atrocities. Would be a tough place for me to go. I've always said farewell Middle East. Things I like to do. Alcohol, you know, have relations with men. Not allowed in Middle Eastern countries. Um, Qatar, of course, being one of them. And Fox Sports has come under a lot of, I think, rightful scrutiny for completely whitewashing Qatar's horrible human rights record, their treatment of LGBTQ people. Uh, the coverage has just been embarrassing over the last few days, over the weekend. Fox heaped praise on everything from the air conditioning in the stadiums to the variety of the food available to the fans, very welcoming uh, World Cup. Fox Sports said, yeah, unless you are gay, LGBTQ. Uh, you know, the fan section, Qatar's fan section, no women at all. <laughs> and the Fox cameras show that. Don't even comment on it. But this isn't a surprise. This isn't a surprise. This is what uh, Fox Sports was saying prior to prior to the event. Uh, the executive producer, David Neal, said he did not believe viewers wanted to be distracted by off-field issues during the tournament. Quote, he really believed viewers come to us at Fox Sports for the World Cup to see the World Cup. Uh, Qatar Airways, the country's state-owned airline, is a major sponsor of Fox's World coverage, World Cup coverage as well. So just embarrassing, whitewashing, sports washing, however you want to phrase it. By contrast, the BBC in their World Cup opening segment this weekend offered a real hard look at Qatar and the thousands of migrant worker deaths to build these stadiums and their human rights abuses, et cetera, and the corrupt negotiation process for them to get the games. And it's just a total failure on Fox's part to not touch any of that in their World Cup coverage. I understand you want to protect business interests, but you're not giving your viewers the full picture. You're not telling your viewers an accurate story unless you are failing in your job as a broadcaster. Your biggest responsibility is to carry an accurate depiction of what's going on, present an accurate depiction of what's going on. And Fox is just not doing that in the least. Uh, I'm reading from The Guardian, Telemundo, which owns Spanish language broadcasting rights for the World Cup in the US, is taking a bit of a stronger line than Fox here. So Fox Sports, again, not surprising given their overall operation and comments from their executive producer before the event, completely sports washing what's going on here with Qatar in the World Cup. And uh, just in general, a lot of the coverage about the human rights abuses, the abuses towards LGBTQ people. Uh, for another product I was doing for OutSports, I interviewed uh, an out gay Qatari who started a gay soccer fan group, um, a Qatari gay soccer fan group. He, of course, lives out of the country because, well, he wouldn't be able to be publicly out if he lived in Qatar. And he says, Dr. Nasser Mohammed, he says that you know, a lot of the coverage about LGBTQ rights leading up to the World Cup was focused on the tourists 
and if gay fans would be able to travel to Qatar, say if we watch the event, whether or not Qatar intended to police the behaviors of LGBTQ fans who traveled internationally for the event. But he says that is completely insulting and misses the mark on the Qatari people who have to live under this regime on a daily basis. And come mid-December, the World Cup will be over, the fans will be gone, and the LGBTQ people in Qatar will still be there and still being discriminated against. And that's the real story we should tell. And I agree. But certainly do not look towards Fox Sports to tell that story. So that's it. Sports uh, Sports Media Mayhem podcast in the books here on this Thanksgiving week. A bit of abbreviated edition, but I'll be back next week with a great guest as well. Don't you worry. Uh, as always, subscribe to the show. You can find the podcast wherever you can find your favorite your favorite pods. As they say, we are available on Spotify, Apple, Google. You know the drill. Download, listen, rate, subscribe. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>